0: I'm moving forward with this series called Best Sermon Ever. And this sermon is not that sermon. It's about the best sermon ever, which Jesus taught, called the Sermon on the Mount. And you can read about it in Matthew chapter 5. You can go back to the first week and even get more background for the setup of this sermon. But I want to pick up today in verse 7, where Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And I want to focus on that today. This message is going to focus on that. Blessed are the merciful. When you think of mercy, what do you think of? I know if you're a child of the 90s, like my wife, you might think of Uncle Jesse from Full House saying, have mercy, right? And if you're like me, you remember growing up, wrestling with friends, trying to put each other in a headlock and someone starts tapping out, like have mercy, right? And uh, I don't know what you think of, but Christianity, mercy is a pretty big deal. Christianity is a relationship that begins with mercy. This is something that's so important for us to understand as Christians. We won't show mercy to other people until... We recognize how much mercy we've already received through God in Jesus Christ. You need to understand this, church. I'm not being uh, hyperbolist here, over-exaggerating anything, but this could be the most important Christian trait for you to grasp. The importance of being merciful because the the consequences of being unmerciful, according to scripture, are dire. The Bible describes unmerciful people as cruel and uncompassionate, wicked, evil, tortured, unforgiven, and even risking eternity in hell. That's what the Bible says about unmerciful people. So why do I think we all need to be challenged in this area? It's because we've all wrestled to forgive people who've hurt us deeply And we are all tempted at times to be easily offended and become judgmental towards other people. So I pray that this message will help you to become a more merciful person. And I wanna ask you just to open your heart to the word of God today and pray with me that God would cultivate mercy in all of us. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. It's a lamp to our feet. We pray that Jesus would be glorified through this sermon and that you would help us all to grow and become more like him. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to start out talking about the parable of the unforgiving debtor in Matthew chapter 18, because it parallels a lot of what we're talking about today. It says this Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And he's going to try to impress Jesus here with how merciful he is proposing we be. How about this? Seven times. How about that? Seven times. And that's not impressive to Jesus. He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus says to the crowd, That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I mean, this is a powerful and intense parable. Parables were stories that Jesus would tell to highlight a principle and teach a message in a way that was emotional and we would relate to. And this story definitely accomplishes that. You think about a man being brought before the king who owed a debt. It was an unpayable debt. This translation says millions of dollars, like one million dollars. It was an unpayable debt. And the point was it could not be repaid. The man was going to be sold into slavery along with his wife and children to make up the debt. That was actually a pretty common practice back in those days. If you owed a debt you couldn't pay, You didn't get to just declare bankruptcy like people do today. Like Michael Scott walking into the office like, I declare bankruptcy. You know, people are like, that's not how it works. Maybe not a lot of office fans in this service. (laughs) But back in those days, like if you owed a debt you couldn't pay, man, you might be sold as an indentured servant to pay the debt back. This man gets down on his knees, begs for forgiveness and says, just give me a little more time, I'll pay it back. And even that suggestion is silly because the point was that he never could pay it back. And the king has pity on this man. And he says, you know what, I'm not even going to put you on a payment plan. I'm just going to forgive the debt. The guy goes out, newly forgiven. And what does he do? He finds a guy who owes him chump change by comparison. The Bible says, grabs him by the throat and demands instant payment. And When that man asked for mercy, he doesn't give that guy mercy even though he had just received mercy himself. The other servants saw this happen and understandably, they were ticked. They were upset. They're like, this isn't right. How can this guy do this after he had just been forgiven so much? The king wasn't having it either. And he said, this guy, this unforgiving debtor needs to be cast into prison where he's gonna suffer essentially forever. And then Jesus drops the mic and says, this is what God is gonna do to you if you refuse to forgive other people. I mean, this is intense, isn't it? So the whole purpose of this parable is that you would hear it and have a visceral reaction. Like, that's not right. That guy can't do that. What's the matter with him? And yet so many of us turn around and do the same thing to other people throughout our whole lives when we refuse to show other people mercy. This happens because we either never realize or we forget how great our own debt to God was. It's not always your fault. In some, some ways, it's part of the culture we grow up in where it's a humanistic culture that celebrates people, says they're good people. We have helicopter moms. We get trophies even when we don't win. Whether we do good or not, and it leads to a way of thinking that doesn't reflect what the Bible teaches. It says this, James Hunter was a sociology professor at the University of Virginia. He said, we Americans generally want to think of ourselves as good people. That, in many respects, is where the trouble begins. Isn't that true? Another survey from the Barner Group said, 83% of Americans agree with the statement, people are basically good. And actually, a majority of Christians surveyed, 77%, agree with that. If you agree with that concept that people are basically good, it's because you either don't know what the Bible says or you don't believe what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10. It's gonna be hard for some of you, but watch. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Not me, not you. Not Mother Teresa. No one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. People, though, even Christians, read this along with me and still struggle to accept that. But, 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 but I'm basically good. It's like, no. No, you're not. The Bible tells us that we're not. And deep down, we all know it. But let's go through a little exercise together just to get on the same page, okay? Let's go through a confession moment together. You can do this wherever you're at. Just join me with this. How many of you have ever told a lie? Me. Ne- never since I've been a pastor. But, <laughs> but I-, I definitely did before. And-, and what would you call someone who lies? a liar. How many of you have ever stolen anything? Okay. Me, once again, not, not since I've been a pastor, but, but man, as a kid, I stole, I stole. And what would you call someone who steals? A thief. How many of you have ever lusted after, you don't have to raise your hand, lusted after someone you're not married to. Don't Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Jesus says, you know, you know, the Bible says you shall not commit adultery, but if you even lust after someone in your heart who's not your spouse, it's like you've committed adultery in your heart. How many have ever committed murder? Once again, don't raise your hand, I don't wanna know. Jesus said, the Bible says you shall not murder, but if you even have anger towards your brother in your heart, it's like you've committed murder. And if you curse your brother, you're in danger of the fires of hell. I don't, I've been angry at people and I've said some things to people and I've cursed people in my heart. So the point is by our own admission, all of us are lying, thieving, adulterous murderers. You just admitted you were too, so it's not just me. And yet we still struggle to accept this concept. Bible says, you're not good. And we need to understand this, not so that we'll feel bad about ourselves. I'm not trying to beat you up and this isn't gonna lead to a guilt trip. The purpose of taking us down this path is because we have to see how bad we were. Because until you recognize how bad you were, you won't recognize how good God is. It's so important for us to see this. When we see our sin and our badness, We are then able to see God's righteousness and the goodness of Jesus, that an all righteous, perfect Jesus would die in the place of corrupt, wicked, sinful men. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says this Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or, or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards, party animals in college, anybody, or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and the point of reading a passage like that is all of us relate to it on some level and go, check, check and check. But it's encouraging. It goes to a place of hope. It says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's not a passage meant to beat you up. It's a passage meant to remind you where you came from. The Bible does say that God forgets your sins and removes them from you as far as the East is from the West. So when you try to talk about your sins to God, he's like, no, I don't, I don't remember that. I have no recollection of those events. The Bible talks about God forgetting your past, but the Bible never implies that you should forget your past. Let me say that again. The Bible never says you're supposed to forget your past. You need to remember where you came from because when you forget your past, when you forget your sins, when you forget the mistakes you made, it's very easy to become self-righteous and forget the mercy of God. And unless you remember these things, man, you're going to really struggle to be a merciful person. If you forget God's mercy towards you, you'll forget to give mercy towards others. And so it's good to remind yourself sometimes not to dwell on the past and beat yourself up because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So it's not that you sit down and you beat yourself up like, oh, I was such a bad person. I'm so terrible. That's the way that the devil, who is the accuser of the saints, talks to you. But we remind ourselves of our past in a way that leads us to the goodness of God. Yes, I was a sinner. I was one of those things, but God cleansed me and he made me holy and he made me right because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm remembering God's mercy so that I'll remember to give mercy to other people. I've got to remind myself how great of a debt God forgave me of so that I will remind myself to forgive other people of the debt that they might owe me. Otherwise, you run the risk of becoming just like the unforgiving servant. Think about the Apostle Paul, who was very grateful for God's mercy. In First Timothy, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Is he bragging? Is he going to tell us how awesome he is? No, he said, Christ considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. I wasn't a believer at the time. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I I am the worst of them all. I love that. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I love this passage. The Apostle Paul, he's like, I'm your example. And he's not bragging, I'm your example because I'm awesome and very spiritual and have perfect Sunday school attendance. He says, I'm your example because I'm the worst sinner of them all. But God had mercy on me, and he chose me just to highlight how he can work with the worst of sinners, how he can redeem the furthest lost person and use them for his glory. So that, that's good news for us, church, because that means it doesn't matter how far you are from God. It doesn't mean matter doesn't mean matter how bad you've been, what you've done, the sins you've committed, the things you've never even told anyone about because you're so embarrassed about it. God knows. About those things, and he can use even you. He can work through even you. And it's for his own glory. So if you feel broken and if you feel like your whole life's been a mess, that puts you right where God wants you. Because then he's ready to use you for glory. But when you forget your past, man, it's easy to become an unmerciful person. Self righteous people will never be merciful people. And if anyone could have been self-righteous, Paul might have been tempted to be self-righteous. I mean, if you wrote half the New Testament, you'd be tempted to feel pretty good about yourself. Like, I wrote a part of the Bible. That's pretty great. But he said, man, I'm the worst sinner of them all. So let me talk about some things that merciful people do, maybe, or don't do. Here's the first thing. Merciful people don't get offended. This is something I want to highlight because we live in a culture of outrage and backlash. It's like every day, who are we outraged about today? Someone said something offensive. Someone says something insensitive. Now they have to apologize and all of Twitter and the internet is outraged. Did you hear what they said? I can't believe the nerve of some people. How ignorant, how offensive and everyone just gets up in a tizzy with their pitchforks and their torches. But then we do it on a personal level as well, if we're being honest. It's like someone said something disrespectful towards me. I'm offended. Somebody embarrassed me. I'm hurt and I'm offended. And I have a right to be angry. I'm angry because someone forgot me. She had a party and she didn't invite me. She did it on purpose and I'm offended. I will never forget this. No, 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 I am offended. It even happens in churches sometimes like, oh man, my leaders did some things and I don't like it and I don't agree with that and I'm offended. I'm outraged. It says in James 1:19, "Understand this, my beloved brethren: let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to take offense and to get angry." Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to take offense, and slow to get angry. I feel like God put this in the Bible just for me because I've always been quick to speak and quick to get angry. But we need to know, we need to be reminded our temptation is to get offended easily. But merciful people don't get offended easily. They don't get offended really because in order to get offended, you've got to forget all the times you've been offensive to other people. And then reality we've all been offensive at times maybe not on purpose maybe you said something insensitive and hurt someone's feelings you're like oh my goodness I'm so sorry I didn't even know that was a sensitive subject for you maybe you've forgotten other people and you didn't invite someone to the party and they text you like why do you hate me and you're like oh I'm so sorry I just forgot it was an honest mistake you've cut people off and didn't know it right We've all been offensive. And if I could be so bold as to speak directly to you, I've got to say it. The truth is that before Jesus, your entire life was offensive to God. It sounds harsh, but it's true. Before I accepted Jesus as my Savior, my entire life was an offense to God. He didn't look kindly on my good deeds. They were as rubbish to Him. And my sin was great, like the Apostle Paul. I could say I was the chief of sinners. And so, why do we need to be reminded of that? Not to feel bad about ourselves or to get beat up or be guilt tripped. But we've got to remember that God took the blood of Jesus and covered over our sins. He covered over. Our offense. And that's a concept that repeats itself throughout Scripture. Apparently, God wanted us to get it. It says in Proverbs 17, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. How many of you want to foster love? You want to cultivate love. You want to create love. The Bible says if you want to cultivate love, you cover over. And offense, that's the opposite of what our culture celebrates. Our culture celebrates the whistleblower, the person who airs their grievances with Yelp and Google reviews and the whole world and Facebook. Let me tell you about my experience. I was treated poorly. I've been wronged. Rise up, my friends, and be outraged with me. And everyone says, you go girl, speak your truth. You speak up for yourself. But the Bible says, the Christians act differently. We cover over an offense. We actually celebrate the cover-up. We cover, when when someone offends me, man, I don't need to tell everybody, I wanna cover over that shame. And just say, you know what, you don't don't need to worry about it. Someone hurts your feelings, the Bible celebrates the person who covers it up. Just covers it up like it doesn't happen. Why? That seems, that seems weird. That seems wrong to some people. Like, no, no, it needs, to be, it needs to be known. But this is exactly what God does for us. Our God is a God of the cover-up. He's a God of white-out. It says in Isaiah 43, he says, I, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God takes the blood of Jesus and he wipes out the record of your sins. And he says, what sins? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And he celebrates when you do the same for the people who hurt you and offend you. Because when you do that, you're acting like God. God. Merciful people, they let go. When you're a merciful person, you release. You let go. Think about our parable that we studied. In verse 27, it said, Then his master, the king, he was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Compassion, pity, turns into action. And the master took action by Releasing him. And, and I want you to see the imagery used in scripture of what you do with your hands. In the Bible, your hands represent your actions and what you do. Your feet often represent the lifestyle that you live, like you take the paths of righteousness and you live a righteous lifestyle. Your hands are representative of what you do. So here in this parable, you see a master who releases the servant, lets him go. Whereas this servant then turns around, finds the guy who owes him lunch money and grabs him by the throat. The king let go, the unforgiving servant grabbed and took hold of the other guy by the throat. When you think about the throat, it's got to be one of the most vulnerable parts of the human body. And Jesus says nothing by accident, right? This unforgiving servant took hold of of the guy by the throat. Says nothing by accident. So I think about how oftentimes when we get hurt and offended by someone, we lash back out and we don't just try to hurt them, but we go after the thing that we know will hurt them the most. We go for the throat. How many of us have ever attacked someone in a way we knew it would hurt them? Oh, yeah, I remember that one time you did that one thing. Oh, you know, but the thing about her is is this. And you say the thing that's meant to cut the deepest, grabbing for the throat. Jesus shows us in John chapter eight with a woman who was caught in adultery. Other religious leaders picked up stones to stone her to death in accordance with the Old Testament law. And Jesus said, okay, you wanna throw stones? Let the person who's never sinned himself throw the first stone. And they're all like, oh, wait, I have sinned. And they dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. So, man, so often we hear a story about about mercy like that and God showing mercy and we think, oh, great. That is great, Jesus. We love how merciful you are. You are so merciful and it's great. (laughs) We love it when we're on the receiving end of mercy. But when other people hurt us, it's like, oh, I'm getting me a stone. I'm going for the throat. I'm picking up stones and grabbing throats. It's like I so quickly forget how much mercy God has shown me when I'm hurt, when I'm offended. But merciful people, they let go. They release. They forgive the debt. You've all been forgiven. I've been forgiven. And we have to remind ourselves that forgiven people forgive people. That's what we do. We've been forgiven and we have to remember this forgiven people like us. What do we do? We forgive people. Why? Because God has first forgiven us in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you what, like as a pastor, I care about our church, and our community. And I want all of you to come to new life in Jesus and to be saved. And I know there are a lot of lost people in our community who haven't accepted Jesus, who haven't been saved yet. But I'll tell you a little bit of insider perspective here. I don't sit around and judge whether or not individual people in our church are saved. I don't have like a record book going of like, yeah, I think they're in. Uh, No, she's not, she's definitely not in. He definitely is, but not him. Like I don't do that because you can't judge the heart. You don't know what's going on in someone's heart. There are some people who act very religious, but inside their heart, it's a mess. And there are other people who look really rough around the edges and they swear like sailors but inside they have submitted their heart to the Lord and received eternal life. So I don't judge because I don't know the heart, but I will be honest, there are some people I worry about more than others and the people I worry about the state of their souls the most are unforgiving, unmerciful people. Because I can't help but just be shocked like, what's going on? Did you forget how merciful God has been to you? Or have you just never experienced that? It's so concerning to think about being unforgiving after having received so much forgiveness. Oftentimes when we hear a sermon about forgiveness, it's usually encouraging us like, come on y'all, let's forgive and we'll feel so much better about ourselves and we'll feel so much better about life and it won't, it'll just be really nice to let go and And let God and move on. But there needs to be more sermons that warn us about the dangers of unforgiveness. And that's what I think needs to happen in this moment. There is an actual real warning in scripture repeated again and again about not forgiving other people. Matthew chapter 6, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Okay, that sounds good. But that's a big but. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's scary. That that is a great warning. And and this isn't just a one-time thing, like, oh, well, maybe he's taking this out of context. This is repeated again and again. Go back to our, our parable, Matthew 18, right? It says, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Jesus said, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And the imagery there is eternity in hell. Saying that's what God's going to do if you refuse to forgive. I might not be a smart man, but I feel like Jesus is saying multiple times in multiple ways that if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. How many of you agree with my conclusion? I mean, it's just, it's intense, I know, but it's there. That's intense. And I don't even understand all the theological implications of how this plays out. But this is a strong warning. And Jesus doesn't make empty threats. I often will say there's no sin. God can't forgive. But there might be one sin that God won't forgive. And that's the sin of unforgiveness. Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Are you refusing to forgive? Are you refusing to give mercy? I'm not trying to beat you up, but I'm trying to help you and warn you about the danger of unforgiveness. Now, this doesn't mean it's supposed to be easy for you to forgive. It doesn't mean you're going to have no problems forgiving people from this point forward. In fact, when people hurt you deeply, and some of you have been hurt deeply, cut deeply, wounded in a way that you carry with you, and it still affects you, you're going to struggle to forgive. And I wanna just kind of highlight an example that hopefully will encourage you of Barbara Mangie. This is Barbara and her daughter, Dana. And I read an account, and there are many accounts like this, sadly, but I read this account of Dana being murdered by a college friend. She was stabbed and strangled to death. And her mom, Barbara, who was a devout Catholic, came to rightly believe that God wanted her to forgive her daughter's killer. And she resisted, understandably. Think about someone killing, murdering your child. But she believed God wanted her to forgive. And she says, God, don't you make any exceptions. She she said, God, you must, you must make exceptions. I know we're supposed to forgive the people who hurt us, but this is an extreme situation. And don't we often feel like that? My situation, though, is different. This kid murdered my daughter. Here's what she said. If you want me to forgive this person, you're gonna have to make it happen because I just can't. Has anyone ever felt that way? I just can't forgive. And not only did God help her to forgive, but she ended up corresponding with her daughter's murderer in prison and helping him to experience forgiveness himself. And she said, quote, I just feel like God has been with me through this whole journey helping me. You might struggle to forgive those who hurt you. And listen, here's the good news. Jesus doesn't warn you about struggling to forgive. He warns you about refusing to forgive. There's a big difference between I can't and I won't. It's one thing to say, like, I just don't think I can. It's another thing to say, I won't. Bible says if you refuse to give mercy, God's not going to give mercy to you. But If you open your heart to God, and even if you're honest and you have to say like, I don't feel like I can do this, God, you're gonna have to help me. You're gonna have to make it happen. You just open your heart to God. And then like every other situation God has helped you with, you trust him to step in and do the hard work and transform your spirit and heal your soul. He enables you to do what you could not do in your own strength. And I want this desperately for you. I want you to become a merciful person so that you can receive mercy. Let me just close with this, just three practical ways to show mercy. First, give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt. People are gonna hurt you. People are gonna let you down. People are gonna say things to you that are stupid. They're gonna forget to do things they promised you they would do. But give them the benefit of the doubt. There's a psychological human condition where we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their actions. When we make a mistake, it's like, well, yeah, but I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to speed, officer. I didn't mean to forget that thing I said I would do. I meant to do the right thing. I just made a mistake. But when other people do things that are wrong, we're so quick to rush to judgment and say, you are an evil person. But you gotta give people the other benefit of the doubt. That, that this means let other people off the hook and show them the kind of mercy that you would want to receive. If someone hurts your feelings or forgets you or offends you, right? Giving them the benefit of the doubt, it means saying, you know, she probably didn't mean to do that. He probably, he probably didn't mean to do that to me. I, I'm sure if he knew, he wouldn't have said that. That's giving someone the benefit of the doubt, right? Here's the second thing, focus on the good. Focus on the good. Everybody who you interact with is gonna let you down at some point in your life. Your spouse, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, your neighbors, everyone is gonna do something eventually that you don't like. You can choose to focus on some the the of the bad things that they've done or some of the good things that they've done, you know? And, and I think if you choose to focus on the good, It's gonna help you to show mercy to people. Yeah, yeah, ladies, I know your husband leaves stuff on the floor, his beard trimmings in the sink. You can focus on that or you can focus on the good things that he does. You're like, oh, he doesn't do any good things. Yes, he does. There's gotta be at least something you can focus on, right? Focus on the good and look for something good to focus on when people hurt you. Look for something good. There's gotta be something. And then here's the third thing. Remember the warning. Remember the warning. This is a practical thing that will help you show mercy to other people. When you're mad, when you're angry, and you're tempted to curse someone from your heart, oh God, get them, get them, God, Right. Remember the warning of Jesus where he said, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. That's a terrifying warning. We often think, so, think of mercy and forgiveness like we have to give something up, got to give up. And in a sense you do, you give up your right to be offended. You give up bitterness, but I want you to hear me. You gain so much more than you give up. You gain so much more then you give up. When you forgive others, and when you extend mercy to others, you can rest in the joy and confidence of knowing there is an even greater portion of God's mercy coming your way. You're gonna gain. You're gonna gain mercy. Because guess what, man? Like, I know there are gonna be times in the future when I let people down, when I blow it. And so I wanna build up a big old bank account of God's mercy stored up and ready for me. And I know that you want the same thing in your life. And when you're quick to show mercy to people, when you're quick to forgive other people, that means God's gonna bless you with mercy when you blow it. He's gonna bless you with mercy when you need it the most. So remember the warning, but also remember the promise. If you forgive others, God's gonna forgive you. And you can rest in that confidence knowing God is good and he's gonna work it all out. I can trust him. You know, it starts, mercy starts with our faith in Jesus Christ. And I touched on this at the beginning, not to beat anyone up, but to just speak the truth in love and acknowledge the fact that we've all sinned, every single one of us. And even one sin would have made us unworthy of salvation, but we've committed many sins. And we have fallen way short of God's standard of righteousness. And you could live a thousand lives of perfection from this point forward and never pay off your debt to God. And that's why Jesus stepped into this world as the perfect son of God and he lived a righteous life and he chose to lay his life down on the cross to pay the debt of sin that you and I could never pay God. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe so that you could be restored to God, made right and cleansed and holy. And the Bible says, when you call on the name of the Lord and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge your sinfulness, God steps in and he imputes his righteousness to you and he forgives you and he wipes the record clean. And he doesn't just let you off the hook, but he welcomes you into his family as a son or daughter of God and co-heir of Christ. That's why we're celebrating and singing songs to Jesus even when the world around us is in chaos because we've got a good God who has done great things for us. We're singing about God's mercy. I want every single one of you to experience that. I know many of you already have, but some of you might be in Mesa or in Ahwatukee or online, wherever you're at. Maybe you know, I've never experienced God's mercy, but I want to, I want to be cleansed and made holy and made right with God. I want to lead you in a prayer right now just to say what the Bible talks about and express to God your heart. And if you pray this with me and you mean it, the the Bible says heaven hears you, that God will forgive you, and he will write your name in the book of life. And that's a good thing. So if you're ready to pray that with me, let's bow our heads and let's just pray together. Wherever you're at, just pray with me and say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned. I know I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. So I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that he rose again so I could have eternal life. And I want to live for Jesus from this day forward. I want to glorify Jesus with my life. I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing and throwing a party. And like, man, I know with everything going on in this world, I would be down for a heaven party right now. So why don't we just give God praise for what's going on in people's hearts. People are accepting Jesus, experiencing new life in him. That's so incredible. But what I also wanna do is close this message by just speaking to the Christians, the believers in this room. And what I wanna do is just invite you to stand wherever you're at as we get ready to respond. And I hope that this message, even in the challenging aspects is helpful for you. Because what I know is that many of us have been hurt and at one point or another struggle to forgive the people who've hurt us. And what I wanna do right now is take a moment to pray for you that God would help you to be a merciful person and experience his mercy so that you can extend it to other people. I know maybe you feel like, "I I can't forgive, I just can't. Well, if you're willing, God is able. And so what I'm asking you to do right now is not figure it out on your own, but just open the door a crack and ask God to help you forgive the people who've hurt you. And so if you say, I need that, I need God's help, just raise a hand as a way of saying, that's me. I've got to forgive someone. I need God's help. Lots of hands going up. We're going to pray together for God to help us in this right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your unfailing kindness and mercy, God. You've been so good to us, and I pray that your spirit would fill this place and fill our hearts with your love and your mercy, Lord. Remind us of the salvation we've experienced in you, God. And I pray that you would help us to be merciful to other people and to forgive other people and to let other people go, God. We can't always do it in our own strength, but we know that you can do the impossible. You can do what we're unable to do. And so, Lord, I pray that the change chains of unforgiveness would be broken in Jesus' name, and that mercy would flow forth from this place, and that text messages and phone calls would go out today, extending the hand of forgiveness and extending grace to others the way that you've given us grace. God, we pray that this would happen for your glory and for our freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.